We are in Revelation chapter three, verses one through six. We're in this series called Seven, and today uh, the title is Dear Sardis, Wake Up. <clears throat> it was, are you guys awake? May I think that's just a great time to ask that question, right? Since that's what the whole message is about. Is wait, you awake? Four of you? <clears throat> this pastor decided to skip church one Sunday morning to go play golf. It was a beautiful day, similar like today. And uh, he drove to the golf course and he went a couple towns away because he was afraid that somebody might recognize him. So if he's gonna skip church as a pastor, he's gotta get away and nobody will recognize him. So he's on this hole, it's 350 yards and he tees off and this incredible wind just takes the ball and it takes it all the way to the green and it falls into the cup. So he had a hole in one on a 350 yard uh, fairway and, and hole. And uh, the angel turned to the Lord and said, God, why did you do that? And to which God said, what? Who's he gonna tell? Someone in their survey said, it's nice you talk about football and golf, but we're not really sports people. Can you ever talk about fishing? Why didn't Noah catch more fish from the ark? Because he only had two worms. There you go, that's all I got. All right, stop, stop pretending. Number one on the outline phone long, verse one says this, to the angel of the church of Sardis, write this. <clears throat> These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This city, this particular city was in a strategic position in that it was a place that was located where five roads came together at Sardis. And as a result of its position, it was a major center for trade, as you might imagine. It was a city that was known as the center for trade. It was also known as a military center due to the fact that it was located kind of up on this plateau. So the city was about 1,500 feet off the main roads. That's over a quarter mile where, uh, where the uh, people would travel on the, main, on the main level. It was a city known for its, its manufacture of woolen garments. So Sardis means remnant. And at the time of this letter, it's sad to note that it was a city living in the shadow of its, of its former glory, of its former splendor, what it was once known for. Just like the city, the church unfortunately was alive only in name. What you saw on the outside was the complete opposite of what was going on on the inside of this church. It appeared to be healthy from the outside. It may have even appeared to be this, this thriving church. However, if a person were to visit the church in Sardis, what they might have quickly realized is that it wasn't what is all cracked up to be or what they assumed that it would be or what it appeared to be. All that this church had to hold on to was the glory days. And so the church of Sardis used to be a church that was thriving. It was a church that, that was on fire for God. And now at the time of this letter, they, they were living in their past, clinging to the good old days. Have you ever been convinced that a church is thriving, that a church is on fire for God, that it's healthy? And then when you get there, you think to yourself, I must have taken a wrong turn. Because if this church is thriving, then I don't understand what the word thriving means. 
Why would someone, why would a church live in the past? Why do we cling to the glory days of our lives? Because the glory days provide for us a false sense of life and hope. There's nothing wrong with remembering the days gone by as long as we don't uh, try to stay there and, and, and live there. Whether it be a church or whether it's us as individuals, we, we have to deal with the here and now and we have to deal with where God has taken us in the future. We've all had times in our lives when, when we had a great thriving relationship with the Lord and we were on fire, we were in step with him. Days that our prayer life was, was fervent and we were in the word and we couldn't wait to tell other people about Jesus. Sardis was existing because of its past splendor, what it was known for. They were not living in the present and were ignoring their present decay as a church, the slow fade. And I can only assume, I can only imagine because of that, they had no vision for where the church was going or what God wanted to do. Do you see how a church and how we as individuals, as the people who attend a church get so easily, we can ignore what's happening now and what God is doing and what God wants to do in and through us by living in what God has done in the past. Kind of that, you know, remember when. So the name of Jesus to this particular church is who holds the seven spirits of God. That's how he's introduced to the church of Sardis. This particular description of, of Jesus was, was one of hope because Jesus was the giver of new life. He describes himself here as the one possessing the seven spirits. And so we know elsewhere uh, in scripture that there's only one Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation. There's only one Holy Spirit. So what in the world was he referring to? The number seven, if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that it shows up a number of times. It's a number that, that represents um, completeness or fullness. There are seven churches. Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand as examples. And now John was announcing the sevenfold or the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits represent the activity of the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit to the seven churches. Why are churches and individuals having to live and cling to the past glory days? Because of the absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us in order that we might always have a thriving fellowship with God through Christ. We know from scripture in the Gospel of John particularly that the Holy Spirit guides us. And so if you're like, man, I don't know what to do here or there. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? What am I supposed to be doing? That's the role of the Holy Spirit as you turn to him and as you invite his presence and you say, I know I'm indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Would you fill me and would you show me what direction to go? Would you guide me? The Holy Spirit convicts us. It reveals, to, he reveals to us, he reminds us, he gives us peace. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I just don't have peace in my life. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Sardis was not allowing the Holy Spirit to exercise his power and authority in the current day. 
Therefore, they were having to cling to the past glory days. That's all they had. Let's personalize it a bit. There have been times in my life when I felt dry and I was lacking fervor and I was lacking hunger for God. And here's what I discovered as I had looked back over my life and look at those seasons or look at those episodes. Every time when I reflected and looked back, I realized one consistent theme. I was not allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in my life. I was not inviting the Holy Spirit's power in my life. I was not looking to the Holy Spirit to guide me. I was not looking to the Holy Spirit for peace. I was certainly not looking to the Holy Spirit for conviction. Jesus says in John 4, 13 and 14, the woman at the well, this is what he told her. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, meaning the physical water. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus was saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I will give him a drink of living water. A couple of weeks ago, I had a couple of days when I um, felt a little bit just kind of off, like dizzy and um, uh, yeah, on occasion. And one particular day it was worse than it had been uh, of the few days prior to that. And Lori happened to be on the phone with our daughter, Brianna, who's a nurse, and just said, hey, you know, your dad's feeling this way, you have any ideas? And so she came up with a, a, a couple possibilities of why a person might feel dizzy. And, and then she asked this question, how much water did he drink today? Now this is, this is probably mid-afternoon. And my answer to that was Diet Mountain Dew has a lot of water in it. Um, wrong answer. So it was in the afternoon and I honestly hadn't had much water to drink. And, and so I went into the garage and I just took a couple bottles of water just like this and I just guzzled them, two of them right in a row. And lo and behold, I started to feel a little bit better, almost instantly. I was dehydrated. Life, apply this to your own life. Life becomes disoriented and dizzy when you become spiritually dehydrated. When you stop drinking the living water and substitute it for something else in your life. The church of Sardis was not allowing the seven spirits or the fullness of the Holy Spirit to exercise his power in their midst. They were quenching it. They were trying to do it on their own. It's what we do in our life. We try to do it on our own. Dryness is the result of the absence of water. Spiritual dryness is the result of the absence of the Holy Spirit. It's the way that we experience the living water. The third part of verse one, you have a reputation of being alive. So people think that you're alive, but listen to this, this is what he says to them, but you're dead. He didn't even say, you have this reputation of being spiritually alive, but you're, you're kind of dead. No, he just said, you're dead. Probably the harshest description of all seven churches. He doesn't pull any punches. He said, 
You have fooled people into thinking that you are alive, but you're dead. On your spiritual journey, because you're human, we're human, you will have seasons when you feel spiritually dry. And maybe even a a season where you feel like you're on life support. Here's the incredible thing about God. He never pulls the plug. There's always hope for the believer. There's always hope for the unbeliever. There's always hope for a church because Jesus loves to defeat death. I have known people, maybe you've known people who were fully aware that they were attending a dead church. They would tell you, they're like, yeah, my church is dead, but I still go to church there. And they make every effort to preserve their own faithfulness while praying desperately for that church. The church of Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but they're dead. A reputation is formed out of what is seen, what people observe, and it's not always out of what is true. We can fool people. If a church or a person appears to have this thriving relationship with God, because there are certain signs that people see, people observe certain things, and we make people believe a certain thing, it doesn't always mean that those signs are reliable in determining just how alive a church or a person is. The only true test for authentic spiritual life is the genuine fruit of the Spirit. It's like, you know, one of the most common questions that probably gets asked of a pastor is, hey, I know this person, or I used to know this person, and I remember, I, I actually, I remember when they accepted Christ, and it seemed like they were on fire, but now today, they're not living for God at all. So what happened? Do they lose their salvation? I don't believe that. If they had a genuine faith, a genuine conversion, and they turned their life over to Christ, I don't believe you can lose that because if they could lose it, that means that their salvation is in their hands in the first place, that they could opt in and they could opt out. We know that isn't true. Scripture teaches us that salvation is in the hands of God. So we become his children, we're always his children. So what happened? And then we say, well, maybe they were never saved. Possibly, right? But maybe the gospel took root, but it was never nurtured. That's another possibility. Or maybe they're going through a season of dryness. The only true test for authentic spiritual life is the genuine fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit only comes from the Holy Spirit. And only a believer has the Holy Spirit. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit? Same with me if you know them. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Come on, Awana people. Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the true evidence of the Holy Spirit in us that he's transforming us and that we are a child of God. Let me give you an example. If I come to church every week, I sing the songs, I follow along in the Bible and fellowship with people afterwards, does that mean that I'm spiritually alive? 
Some people would, would take those outward examples and say, yes, that person is actually on fire for God. Maybe, but it, but it could also just be a phony reputation. When in fact inside I'm spiritually dehydrated. I don't long for God at all. The Holy Spirit gives life to both the dying and the dead. So secondly, he says, wake up, verse two and three. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. After attending church one Sunday morning, a little boy knelt next to his bedside that night and he prayed this. Dear God, we had a great time at church today. I wish you could have been there. That would be true of the church of Sardis. He says, wake up. It could also be this, be watchful. Be watchful because you have lost ground by carelessness and inattention. You're not paying attention. Awake, stay awake. The church of Sardis had fallen asleep. They were not paying close attention. They were not effectively guarding the post, I guess is another way you could say it. Listen to the words of Paul that he writes to the church in Rome, found in Romans 13, 11 through 14. This is what he says. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That word darkness really caught my attention because um, I watched last night Dateline, I think it was from Friday night maybe, but it was kind of a, uh, it was this about the four Idaho students that had their uh, lives taken from them. Um, by Brian Koberger, or at least alleged uh, that it was Brian Koberger. And it was interesting because one of the interviewers, um, one of the specialists who kind of um, looks at the patterns of these kind of people, asked him, um, he was asked about uh, why, why in the middle of the night, why at 3.30 in the morning, why at four o'clock in the morning? And it was interesting because he said, as I have tracked these kind of guys, or if I've watched or studied these kind of guys, is this, is that they love to live out their fantasies in the dark, but they don't wanna show their face. The message to Sardis was, it's time to pay close attention. The darkness needs to come to an end. The time is near. Have you ever been on the phone with someone who said to you, I'll be over in just a couple of minutes to get you? course we all have right you ask how many minutes how long will it be and they say I'll be there soon so maybe at first you're really excited you're attentive you're wide awake you're waiting with anticipation after all they said it they would be over soon 
Then as time went on, you started to lose your focus. Your mind started to, to wander onto other things that you were thinking about. Then maybe you forgot you were even waiting on someone and you found yourself completely doing something unrelated. And then you made your way to a chair, your most comfortable chair, your favorite chair, and you actually just fell asleep. The church in Sardis had fallen asleep. They lost their attentiveness and their anticipation for Christ. How did the church go from being alive, thriving, to dead? As you study the church in Sardis, you begin to pick up on the fact that they had compromised with the society around them to the point they'd become ill and eventually dead. Not dead as in hopeless, but asleep. Their wealth and their comfort, their wealth and their comfort were like, I kind of think of it like the, the arms of a mother, wealth and comfort that kind of rocked a baby to sleep. They had wandered from the apostles' teaching, no longer growing in their faith, lacked compassion. They became okay with disunity. The day a person receives Christ as their savior is like the day you get the phone call with the words, I'm coming soon. And as the days and as the months and the years go by, you become less and less attentive. And John is saying to the church, and we're reminded this morning to wake up. The phrase, I will come like a thief, instantly our minds probably go to the second coming of Christ. That's not actually what, was, what he was saying here. As this, this is what he was saying. It was about coming like a thief to discipline you. They knew what Jesus was talking about because they associated it with the reality of some soldiers that had climbed up to this plateau and had gone up and over the wall of their city. It might go something like this. Wake up Sardis or I will come on a sneak attack to discipline you. And then it would say, it would go on like this and stay awake and alert because I'm coming back for you. So it was this message of press on. So this continued attentiveness comes from this constant reminder. The last words spoken by Jesus in the Bible are found in Revelation 22, 20. And this is what it says, the last words. Yes, I am coming soon. Thirdly, press on, verses four through six. Yet you have a few, this is kind of the good news. This is kind of what we have to look forward to for overcomers. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. They will walk with me dressed in white. And so this, this particular promise held special meaning for those that were living in Sardis because the city where woolen garments were manufactured. So it made sense to them. Throughout the book of Revelation, if you start in Revelation one, you read it all the way through. Throughout the entire book of Revelation, the believer after the rapture 
is described to be dressed in white. Revelation 19, 14 through 16 says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So it shows up a number of times. Clothed in white has a special meaning for believers. It means to be set apart for God. That's what it means. If you're clothed in white, you've been set apart for God and cleansed from your sin and made morally and spiritually pure. So we see later in Revelation, the martyrs. If you read the Revelation, you'll see the martyrs. Those are people that lost their lives for the sake of Christ. They were dressed in white robes. The 24 elders mentioned in Revelation wore white robes. The armies of heaven are clothed in white. The white of all of these garments mentioned in Revelation symbolizes the purity that comes when one has been washed in Christ's blood. The promise continues to say, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. In ancient cities, when a person was born, it was kind of a plus minus system. They would take and they would write a person's name. Andy Veith was born today. Andy Veith died today, eraser. And they would erase the name. So it was this plus minus system. When a person's born, their name goes in the book. When they die, their name comes out of the book. Christ was promising that he who overcomes will have their name written in the book of life and it will never be removed. God's pencil has no eraser. Death cannot separate us from the love nor the presence of God. Isaiah 1.18 says this, come now, let us settle, settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In pagan religions, it was not acceptable to approach a God with kind of the soiled, dirty garment. So a person, if they were gonna go worship their God, not not our God, the God, but their God, they would have to clean up first before they would go into the temple. Jesus, praise God, invites soiled, sinful people to come. He will give them new clothing. This statement can also be read to say, confessed before the courts. It is Christ's confession of our name before the Father and the angels that assures our heavenly citizenship. But he will acknowledge that name before the Father and the angels. Jesus will confess before the courts to his Father and will introduce us on our behalf. Matthew 10, 32 says this, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So through this letter, friends, we are being encouraged, challenged to wake up. Let me leave you with this one thing. It's the words from a song we're gonna sing here in just a couple minutes. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. The song, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood.
by Charity Gale in just a minute. Father, thank you for um, this church. Thank you for all the churches that we have looked at and we have studied and, and the personal message that, that is interwoven into these messages to these churches. There's always a takeaway for us. And the reason there's a takeaway today is because we have the, the tendency in our humanness to kind of drift, to become more interested in the things of the world to be more influenced by the things of this world. And sometimes we can even give this false presentation, a reputation that we're walking, our, our faith is strong and we're walking close with the Lord and we go to church and we read and, and we pray and we know, only, only we know in our own hearts sometimes that, that we are empty and we're struggling and we're asking hard questions. Where are you, God? And it seems like when I pray, you don't answer. Holy Spirit, may we turn to you as a believer and a follower of Christ that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit and that you give us all kinds of promises. Help us not to lean on the flesh, but to lean on you. And God, oh God, for those who are here, that are spiritually dead and they've never been awakened because they don't know your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how I pray for them, God, that today maybe something is stirring in them. Holy Spirit, maybe you are stirring in them and you're awakening them. And they have questions and they wanna know you. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you that there's no eraser we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.